Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, a King Killer Chronicle reread podcast. We are your hosts, Will and Phoenix. Let's get into it. Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, Oops All Interesting Facts, where we will be foregoing all discussion of the wise man's fear and instead share a couple of interesting facts. Why? Well, I spent the last three weeks recovering from COVID, and while I'm finally healthy again, we needed something quick for Phoenix to edit so we can release on time, so here we are. This week, we're just going to each share an interesting fact and then send you on your way before we resume our regularly scheduled Kingkiller Chronicle content next time. So without further ado, let's interest one another with facts. So why don't you kick us off? Okie dokie. Alrighty. So our interesting facts return for now. Did you know that most of the meteorites that have been discovered on Earth were found in Antarctica? No. So there's a few reasons for this. But first, let's actually define what a meteorite is. So it's a solid piece of debris from an object such as an asteroid or meteor or a comet that originates from outer space and has survived intact or partially intact through entry into the Earth's atmosphere to land on the planet's surface. More than 90% of them are simply categorized as rocks, with the remaining 10% largely consisting of iron and nickel. So these space rocks land all over Earth, including the ocean. And it seems that they do, in fact, land everywhere in equal numbers, So why are roughly two-thirds of the ones that we found located in very specific parts of Antarctica? Well, part of it comes down to the fact that certain weather conditions such as rain and snow and cyclical heating and cooling can easily break down rock and minerals over time. That results in the best places for these meteorites to survive being places without too much moisture. Note, solid ice isn't actually moisture, it's solid. It's also a good thing for them not to be exposed to too much oxygen or other air that breaks down rock and mineral. So this means that deserts are great places to find meteorites. First of all, like meteorites tend to be very dark because they've been burning in the atmosphere before landing on Earth. So it's easier to see them in places that the ground is light colored or white. To add to the list of Antarctica special properties that make it a great place for meteorites to chill until scientists are able to find it is the way that the ice builds up over time. Most of the time, these meteorites are landing on glaciers and they will go through melting and refreezing sessions that eventually wind up with a layer of ice building on top and layers and layers and layers. And then that encases the meteorite and preserves them And then the ice flows slowly because while solid, it still does kind of travel over time. It just takes a very, very long time. And it takes the trapped rocks with it. Now, a lot of it flows towards the ocean. So there's probably just a dumping ground of meteorites in the ocean near Antarctica. But some of it actually flows inland towards the mountains only to become compacted as more and more ice flows. And it forces all the air and particulates out and up. Combine this with the shearing winds that tear away the top layers of ice, and voila, hundreds of years of unburied meteorites. Cool. 
And so this doesn't happen everywhere in Antarctica. It really only happens in a few places that scientists know to look for them because the ice has been so compacted that it turns blue. So to date, over 67,000 meteorites have been collected and documented all over the world. And over 42,000 of those have come from Antarctica. And every year, expeditions bring back around 1,000 more. So while this may seem like a lot, scientists estimate that we've only found around 13% of the rocks that are hiding below the ice in Antarctica. That's cool. Thank you for sharing that one. Thank you very much. All right, so here's what I've got. We're going to be talking about ancient animals. Ancient? I, I'm going to pronounce it the way I'm going to pronounce it, and you're just going to deal with it. Anyway, so even as the average human lifespan increases ever longer, we still don't hold a candle to some of the other plants and animals that we share this planet with. Here are the six longest-lived species that we humans know about. So we're going to start with the longest-lived vertebrate, which is the Greenland shark. So the oldest recorded one of these sharks is somewhere between 272 and 512 years old, based on a study in 2016. Scientists suspect that this may be due to a slower metabolism that lets the sharks survive year-round in the frigid Arctic waters. Next, we've got another Arctic animal, the longest-lived mammal, which is the bowhead whale. Scientists suspect that bowhead whales have lifespans that exceed 200 years based on a 2015 gene sequencing. Again, cold water and slow metabolism, there you go. Then we've got the glass sponge, which is the longest-lived organism. So glass sponges are deep-sea invertebrates with skeletons composed of geometric granules of silica that grow into elongated spears or vase-like shapes. They can grow almost 10 feet long, forming the largest animal-made silicate structure on Earth, and according to a 2012 study, can live up to 11,000 years. Holy buckets. Yeah. So, I mean, like, these things can go for a long time. Next, we've got the longest-lived non-colonial organism, and that is the ocean quahog. So these clams are found all along the Atlantic coast of the Americas, between North Carolina and Newfoundland, and can live for centuries. Scientists counted the ridges on the shells of one and found the oldest known one to be 507 years old. They nicknamed it Ming because that means it would have been alive during the Ming Dynasty when it was born. Okay. So then we've got the longest-lived land animal, which is the Seychelles giant tortoise. While the oldest known tortoise, a dapper gentleman named Jonathan, is approximately 190 years old, scientists believe they can live over 200 years, though measuring their exact age is often difficult as they outlive the scientists who observe them. By at least double. Yeah. That makes it really hard, right? Yeah. Here are my notes, young whippersnapper. <laughs> right. And it would have to go through multiple generations, too. Right. Because you're probably not going to hand a three-year-old your notes. Exactly. <laughs> and then we've got the bristlecone pine, which is the longest-lived land organism. So this rare tree lives only in the high deserts of California, Nevada, and Utah, and can live over 4,000 years. The oldest one recorded, nicknamed Methuselah, has been aged at over 5,000 years based on account of its rings in a core sample. Granted, to protect it from vandalism, exploitation, and general tourist mischief, scientists have chosen to keep Methuselah's exact location a closely guarded secret. I mean, we've seen how people treat campsites, so yeah, you don't want just a bunch of people coming to see this. 
I mean, somebody just got arrested really, really recently for carving his name or carving like his initial and the heart and the initial into the Colosseum. So. Yeah, exactly. Why do we think anyone would respect a tree? Precisely. Well, that's my interesting fact. And so with that, I'd like to thank you for potting with me. Thank you for potting with me. And thank you, audience, for putting up with the fact that two times in a row, we've had to make a different type of podcast for you because I don't have a week to edit this in time for you to get it on the day that it's supposed to release. And while we managed somehow to make it through three and a half years of the pandemic, our luck ran out, or at least Will's did. I still haven't caught it somehow, but yeah, that stuff knocks you on your ass. Knocks you on your ash. So as closing, I think last time I forgot to thank Shawnee Jang for our theme music and all of you for listening. And many thanks to our listeners for putting up with our rather irregular release schedule over the past few weeks. Audio production and editing, courtesy of me, Phoenix McCullough. Writing and project management, courtesy of me, Will McCullough. If you would like to help support us and have the means to do so, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash waystonepod. And as always, here's to one more day above the roses. To one more day above the roses. Ding! I'm sorry I couldn't read it very well <laughs> and flubbed up so many times. It's okay. <laughs> Pobody's nerfect. Yay.